Good morning, everybody. All right, a little bit better than last week. <laughs> Happy Father's Day to all those <clears throat> who are fathers and those who to be fathers at some point, Lord, and uh, just uh, pray you all have a good day today. Um, if you would, please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, <clears throat> and we'll soon be getting there. Um, last week I preached on contentment in the home, per- particularly found or not found, should I say, on the main floor living area of our allegorized home. It is our daily life and interaction in this world. Now I made the argument that the key to truly being happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise is supported by a very small, easily disrupted root system called contentment. Now, last week's message was generalized. This week, the message will be on the same topic, yet we will deal with specific areas that we need to teach contentment in the home. And we will be focusing on the Father, especially that He must insist upon, model, and produce a culture of contentment in the home. Now, so this continued message on contentment will be entitled, A Culture of Contentment in the Home. And may I say that should be also, we should culture that contentment in the church as well. Let's pray. Father, as we look into this subject of contentment, once again, as we get into some specifics, as we dig down, as we uh, get into the nitty-gritty, Lord God, as we deal with things, may it help us, Lord, to live for you and not for this world, to see contentment, what it really is, and to model that in our lives. I pray for the fathers, especially as we lead our families, that we would be models of contentment, Lord God, and that we would uh, be ones who pursue uh, a life to live for you. And may that be seen in our lives today, and and, uh, may we see some things that maybe we need to change. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you have 1 Timothy chapter 5, I'm going to read the entire chapter, as the chapter, for the most part, is about God's expectations in our relationships with others. You might say it's a chapter of Personal responsibility, personal responsibility. First Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, Rebuke not an elder, an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters, with all purity. Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, Let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. 
But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, says he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man. Well reported of good works, if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she hath washed the saints' feet, if she hath relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. Hey, there, ladies, I'll just throw this in for you. There's something to look at. You're in. I'll tell you. Uh, there's a lot of ladies who want to come to church and want you to fix their TVs and do all their stuff. And, you know, they haven't really given their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who haven't really just poured their heart out for others. Those are the widows indeed. And they come and want to be served. That's not a good look. There's a, there's a lot that wants you. That's, that's not the widows. Hey, we're called to a high calling, folks. <laughs> the bar is way up there. Okay, that's just what the Word of God says. It says, but the younger widows refuse. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation, because they cast off their first faith. And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers, and also busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will therefore the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give no occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some are already turned aside after Satan. If any man or woman that believeth hath have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, let them them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one, and one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment. And some men, they follow after. Likewise, also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 5 is about personal responsibility. I want to start the message with a father-focused responsibility. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now this verse could apply, and in its context, could apply to either gender. It could apply to uh, relationships outside of the, the, your, your own family unit, such as nieces and nephews to aunts and uncles or otherwise. But I believe when it's saying specially for those of his own house, what rises to the top is the father's responsibility to his home. 
You know, we have a very distinct job to provide for our family's needs. We are the providers. I'm going to give you five basic things that we need to provide. In reality, every one of these things I'm going to talk about is really provides a sense of security and always a glorious hope for the family. That's what it should boil down to. First of all, shelter. They're really quite simple. A roof over the heads of our family, a place to sleep. Sometimes it can be difficult in certain circumstances, like a house fire or some other unusual circumstance. Sometimes we move to a place that needs a lot of work, and it's, you know, we got to work through some things. Many have had to leave their homes in Ukraine in recent times. I wonder, I say, how do they provide? They, they, They try. They try. We don't think much about that here, but it is a grim reality in many countries. Sometimes jobs take us away. Some in the service, others missionaries moving in and out of housing. It can be difficult at times, but above all, we as fathers should seek <coughs> to settle in a place called home for his family. Now, I, I, I don't know how to answer. I, I just can't because I've just not been there of when God calls people around to different areas and they're constantly moving. I, I don't know. You'll have to talk to somebody who does that. But in some sense, they should always, that's, that's home. It's just the next home and they, they understand that. Now, for most of us, you have children and you raise them. And I always try to caution people, you know, you, you, your family grows up, it gets to a certain age. At some point, you need to settle in and say, this is home. This is, this is what home is. Okay, um, you know, a lot of times we want to just keep moving up, moving up, moving up, moving up. And sometimes the kids can just miss where home is. It doesn't need to be fancy. As a matter of fact, high standards of living could lead to a lifestyle and expectations and that lead to a road of actual discontentment in life. Number two, we had shelter food, nutritious food. Regular meals, meals that are given thanks for, even if we don't particularly care for it. Food that is shared at the dining table together, that's a blessing. Meals that are within budget and not wasted. Over-budgeted eating, food that is wasted, food that is provided in excess are, these are roads to discontentment. I'll tell you, it's going to lead there. Clothing. Name brand and stylish clothing is not a need, folks. It's not a need. But clothing that covers and protects is a need. I was catching at the ball game the other night. We were playing. Who were we playing? To Georgetown? Georgetown. And a young boy, he's up there batting, and he starts pulling on a shirt like this. And he has a little, like, tag. It's a brand new shirt. I said, oh, you got a new shirt. I was catching, so I just talked to people while they're up there. <clears throat> and he said, he said oh, I got it at Goodwill. And I looked at his shoes, and I seen his shoes. I recognize these, these are shoes I used to wear all the time way back in the day. They're Reeboks. They have green writing on them. I don't think they exist anymore. The boy probably got those there. Probably got new shoes. It humbled. It was good, though. It was a good 
good humble. You don't need stuff. You just need stuff. He was, he was all right. And he seemed to have a good attitude. And that, I, I, that thrilled me. Quite honestly, that just flat out thrilled me to see a boy like that. Education. You know, there are many avenues to educate your children. We seek, <clears throat> but we should seek the best. We should seek God for how we should educate. Obviously, one of the things, we, we need to have our children educated in something that never fails, the Word of God. We need to make sure that, that we're doing that. And in this church, we need to really have an emphasis to try to, to do that the best we can. But then there's also... Um, work that they're going to do one day and we need to seek an environment and teaching that will not tear down their faith or provide wrong opportunities and distractions it should be an education that should enhance their gifts remember we should be looking to see hey you know what what can this child really do what does he enjoy what is he good at in today's world a college education should be a consideration or perhaps vocational schooling, or operating within a family business to gain some life skills. Those are all good things. You need to pray about those. Um, <clears throat> and let God do what God will do with His child. Remember, it's his, they're His children. It's good to consider older children to take a job to help pay for their education. That'll teach them some things too, especially the young men. And then the last area, kind of an interesting area, but think about recreation. You know... <clears throat> It's a provision that we have for our children. It can be very inexpensive, something within your means. Most importantly, it's something that you do it together. You know, working a second job to provide better vacations and things tells the child that things are more important than relationships. Your children need more than anything. They need you more than anything when having recreation. It's always sad to see a child playing on a sports team but has to get rides with other parents and the parents that's too busy to show up at the ball game to watch. I'm saying they can't make every game, but sometimes the parents never show up. Now in all these cases, under-providing <clears throat> can lead to bitter lives and poor outlooks of life. Over-providing can lead to spoiled adults unable to bear the responsibilities of marriage and children, many times finding themselves in debt all leading to lives of expectations and discontentment. But a strong balance in these areas, with a focus of hard work, gratefulness, and family strength, leads to appreciation, drive, vision, and never-ending hope, whose worst case, when everything bottoms out, it never falls below the level of contentment. Philippians 4, 11, Now that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instru instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then the common verse we always quote, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You know, as fathers, we should not be the ones who are deceived. We need to be aware of some things that the consumerist culture out there is trying to make us and our children 
how to think. They're telling us how to think. Marketers know how to focus on women and children, especially children and teenagers. Children cry for certain cereals, don't they? I want this, I want that. Man, they've, they've got it down. They may have never eat it, but man, they're sold on it from the TV. Lunches, name brand clothing, shoes, iPhones, GameCubes, gaming computers, streaming services. And I'm not sure I got all that terminology right. But all those things, radio, schoolmates, TV, and now social media seek to tell women, children, and men what their problem is and the fix for their problem. They got to tell you, you got problems. They lie about all these people up here. No, they're not. They have the same thing. But if, if you think you're missing it, they got you. And that's what they do. They're liars, folks. They're liars. So how do we guard our family from these? For starters, we as fathers need to model some basic values. Just give you a few. Number one, don't subscribe to the American dream. You hear it all the time, I'm living the dream. I'm you know, a lot of times it's just a statement, you know, and that's what they're saying. Don't subscribe to the health and wealth gospel or getting what I deserve mentality. These are all a lie into a life of self-gratification. That's really where that all boils down to. All these are circumstantial bias for having a good life, a blessed life, a happy life. But they are setups for discontentment, folks. The American dream, health and wealth, gospel, and I deserve mentality have money and health as indicators of success. What a foolish thing. Proverbs 23, 5, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. And I'm surprised you don't get a lot of amens that you know pop up when they hear that one. Number two, myth. It's my money mentality. <laughs> God owns everything. We are just stewards of it. There are a couple things that our children should see. That you take care of the things that God gave you. And also that you are willing to use the things God gave you to help others with. That's important for you to model that as fathers. Think about it. We tell our kids to play with their toys appropriately, put them away, and share with others who will hold to the same Stewardship values, who will take care of them. Do we model that? Is that what our children see in our lives? Here's the third myth. Money is evil. I mean, we can go, now, now we can go down the, the other ditch here. Money itself is not evil. It's the love of money, the pursuit of things, riches and popularity that comes with it is the problem. Proverbs 23, 4 says, Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Man, what a, what a curt statement that is and direct. It's the misuse of money that promotes prideful behavior. An heir because you are this or that or you're somebody or whatever. It promotes personal security, resting in your bank accounts, ever gathering in a stingy behavior of always trying to keep stuff. 
personal pleasure, getting all the things you want in life. And I'll just throw this in. Midlife crisis is a last-ditch effort to try to be gratified by the things of life. Man, grow up, guys. But money can be used positively to help others less fortunate, to set aside for a rainy day, to have some so others are not burdened by your irresponsibility later in your life. Now, anything can happen in life, but man, you need to take care of things. To have some to pass on to your children and grandchildren. You know, we have the things we have because what was passed down to us. You know, it's not a bad thing to, <laughs> and a good thing to try to pass something on to others to give. To have some to do special things with your family without sacrifice and security. In other words, we don't take that vacation and just run the credit card and we'll pay for it later kind of thing. But we save a little bit. We have some money so we can do some, some fun, nice things that are in, within the budget. So let me ask a question. Just what is contentment anyway? It is having enough. The opposite of contentment is covetousness. It, it, it always, covetousness always calls for more. And it is fed by comparing what you have to what others have that you don't have. And it makes you want to covet want what somebody else has. I ain't got that. I'd like to have that. Charles Spurgeon wrote, You say if I had a little more, I should be very satisfied. You make a mistake. If you are not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. It said about a rich man, he always wants a dollar more. He just... Like Brother Reader was, if you get the aspect of what he was talking about, like in life, that things just, there's things that do this are never satisfied. But with God, <laughs> it's in God. God is like complete. I mean, it's hard for us to understand, and it's, it's satisfaction. Uh, contentment with godliness is great gain. Let's put it in a little more plain, simple terms. Simply put, contentment is living below your means. It is spending less than you bring in. Ah, those are pretty straightforward. I think everybody should be able to get a grasp of that. When you live below your means, you are modeling the essence of contentment. One of the most important lessons a child can learn is to distinguish between needs, wants, and desires. We should provide needs. And for sure, we're going to go over and beyond those at times. However, there are times to say no. And there are times to make the child work for it, to earn it, to understand what it takes to get something, to understand the cost for the reward, to understand the value of what they gain. We need to teach our children the value of diligence. You know, the entitlement mentality runs rampant in our country. It is the opposite of contentment. It produces a false belief that we deserve something. It produces laziness and it leads to poverty of the mind. You know, our country is making a big mistake in giving reparations. I'm not discounting what was done and we learn from our mistakes. 
but it's teaching a poor mentality. What we need to do is provide opportunity. Opportunity to learn, perform, work, and serve one another together. That's what we ought to do. Diligence is a common virtue the Christian is called to possess. Proverbs 13.4 says, The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. The words desire and hath nothing is another definition for discontentment. The words the soul of the diligent shall be made fat is another definition for contentment. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. This verse is speaking about how Christians should work. We need to prepare our children to work. We need to teach them early how to be proactive, to see ahead, to stay busy, to love to learn, to take joy in doing a good job, and to make those over us successful. I remember early in my career at HACO that I would have these goals. You know, a lot of times making these applicator heads. And I would try to produce a certain amount. I knew what they sold for. I knew what they cost. And to see how much over what I'm being paid for that I can make for the company. I just, I just went after that. Man, I'd, I'd work on my own time sometimes and take things home and whatever. You know, I had that kind of mentality about serving. I've been very blessed, I believe, because of that. I also remember a previous job that I had, a union job, that about destroyed me in my life. It was a job where people would tell me to slow down as not to raise the standards for everybody. And a a very, like, firm, you know, like, we will get you if you don't kind of thing. They wanted to keep everything, you know? That just takes the joy out of Sad to say, I got to the point where I felt like that company owed me something. And I made more money then than I've ever made in my life when you consider the, you know, the pay rates going up. I had time off like you'd not believe. It was, it was crazy. But that job, thank God, God got me out of that. Uh, it, was, it was destroying my mentality. What is the difference between work and play? Many times we exert more focus and energy in play rather than work. (laughs) Why is work harder than play? Many times it's how we think about it and how we put our minds to it. God laid the foundation for man to work at creation. Genesis 2.15, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? <clears throat> he shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. <clears throat> Here it is in simple terms today. Want a good job? Want to get paid well? You'll need to work for those who are at the top of performance and can afford to pay you well. This means hard work, great character, and an education. 
The best places to work and the best people to work with are those places who seek the best. If you have a business of your own, you should seek the highest standards for your business. And you'll be serving the right people. There are several models of diligent, successful men in the Bible. Joseph, Genesis 37, 13. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. He was ready to go, ready to work. Samuel. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. He learned to work right off the bat. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days, and there was no open vision. David, 1 Samuel 16, 11, And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. David was found busy. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we'll find they had other names. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and, and among them all was found none, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. They stood before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. You know, we are to model stewardship, giving. It's more blessed to give than to receive. If there's anything a Christian should strive for, is then that of the ability to give. We are to give joyfully. Our giving shows where our heart is. It's not just our money. Sometimes it's our time or our possessions. But what we give our money to is a great indicator. That's probably the most valuable because you could just do anything with money. Now I've seen people in churches or families who may give their time and talents, but when it comes to giving their money, you can't find them. Some studies show that in sizable churches, the tithers only make up 10 to 25% of the congregation. Do you live to give? Do your children have opportunity to give and receive the great blessings in doing so? Giving makes us think deeply and caringly about others. Budgeting. Budgeting is a tool that is necessary to make sure you live below your means. It's a tool of contentment. It's especially important early in life when you have a chance for a great financial start when living under your parents' provision. I've seen, I've seen this wasted so many times where a teenager can get a somewhat of a decent job and get a good money start and put some things aside, but some will, but mostly you see them just go live and spend it all on things losing what an opportunity don't let your child lose that opportunity you know in the second stage of life which a lot of you are it's a time to gather you know um, you're trying to to make some jumps <laughs> you got a lot on you you got children who are sick there's a lot of expenses and you're trying to uh, set aside some 
And that's what you should do. A budget will help you make sure you do that. Sadly, though, when in your later life, if God should give you the health, it should be your greatest opportunity to give. But some find out that they get in that place where they're in a position where they have need. I want to give you, you know, saving is simply the result of good budgeting. Okay, that's, that's what that is. Now, here's some spending habits to be careful of. Impulsive spending. Pray about any major purchase for 30 days. Or if you're planning to purchase something, I'll tell you what, go look at things that are being bought and sold beforehand. It's a little tough because you, you want, but then you'll know when the right opportunity and the right price is. We don't want to be impulsive. Spending that happens so many times. Marketers know that. <laughs> Compulsive spending. Anytime uh, you're in a store and you feel like you have to buy something, hey, you know you can go into stores and walk right out and not buy anything. It's okay. It's really okay. Special interest spending. Oh, I just got to have that new thing. Yeah, that new phone, that new whatever you can put it on there. I got to have it. Status-seeking spending. We need to teach our kids that our acceptance is from the Lord. It's in our family and in our friends. Hey, if we've got it right, we don't have, we don't have to impress anybody here. Okay? We don't need to show off things. And may our church culture this as well. You know, we just need to maintain the biblical priorities in the heart of the home, and that is really to trust in God. Put our trust in Him and our service to others. Early contentment leads to a focus on God and others. It places high value in family relationships at home and in the church. It thrives in giving and helping others. And whatever things we have beyond the basic needs of food and shelter, it's always enough. It's enough. 1 Timothy 6, 8, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Philippians 4.11, not that I speak in respect of one, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. These are the things that we need to think about. And especially fathers, we need to model in our lives. Heads bowed and eyes closed, pianist coming to play. Godliness with contentment is great gain. As you think about these things, and men, I'm going to be tough on us here. And don't be a liar to yourself. <laughs> Take an inventory of everything you have. What does it say about you? Take an inventory of your time and how you spend it. Look at the decor of your home and what does it say that you love? Tell me what your goals are and it'll tell you what you are about. When you went shopping last, what did you buy? Things that fill your desires and wants or did you buy 
for your needs of your family and for the pleasure of others. These are tough things, but it tells a lot about ourselves if we'll be truthful about it. We need to model contentment. We need to model the right things in our life, and we need to put God at the top. We need to put our family up there, and, and, and whatever's left, that we just be content with that. We need to make sure our family has things. We are called to be over this. If we are in financial <laughs> destruction, it's our own. It's the dad's issue. And women and children, support your husband. Sometimes he has to say no. Sometimes... He may give you more than what you thought because he feels like there's a need. There's something about that man. We live in a world, man, that's trying to get us, folks. Don't let it. We, we really need a church here that our kids can come to and they feel content, they feel secure, they feel loved, not because of the things they have and what they do and, and that sort of thing. We need a different breed of kids that are common out there. And uh, may we work toward that in the church, and may you and a family really work toward that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your message this morning. Lord, help us to be people who would culture contentment in our homes and in our church. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.